Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news tips and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Of course, they're makers of stellar gas permeable contact lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. In case you are wondering, I am on the East Coast. My name is Dr. James Diem, and I am joined by none other than Dr. Roya Habibi on the West Coast. Roya, what is up? It's April, halfway through it. Shocking, to say the least. Speaking of shocking, did you know today, over 100 years ago, Titanic sunk? <laughs> that would have been the last thing <laughs> I thought you would have said to me right now. It felt like a fun fact I needed last to share thing. with everyone. Off the icy waters of Newfoundland, the luxury liner wow. Titanic sunk at 2.27 a.m., striking an iceberg before midnight. Shocking. There's your uh, useless piece of information for the day, everybody. Share with everyone. Don't keep it to yourself. Love it's it. selfish. April is our <laughs> month to shower students with praise, attention, love, information, etc. Um, we have some stars joining us tonight and through or today through the month, I should say. Um, and we're going to highlight some different colleagues and shows and things of that nature. And today we had a pretty cool inspiration. So I'm going to hold that thought and tell everyone in a moment. But Jimmy's going to tell everyone a little bit of iNews for the day. Yeah, some some, uh, exciting stuff. Maybe. Maybe some exciting stuff. Maybe something you've heard about already. But a couple new entries to the market that I would like everybody to know about. We got... The newest iteration of Lodamax. Thank you, Bausch and Loam. This is what I've been looking for. <laughs> Lodamax S and M. I mean SM. <laughs> Lodamax SM. Small molecule, I think that stands for. Do, do you know, Roy? What does that stand for? Do you have any yeah. idea? No. No. Well, I, I'm a big Loda Prednol fan. Love it. It's a great, great steroid. Uh, it's a hell of a drug. And One of my uh, reps it, says it, it's it, the it, nectar of the gods. So I don't know if that's true, but it, it really <laughs> is. I, I've. I've told people before, I put this stuff on, on a um, poison ivy outbreak, and I, put, I tell people to pretty much put it on anything. And, and that is obviously off-label, folks. I didn't tell you to do that, but it, it does work, and uh, it, it is fun. So newest iteration of Lodamax, it is, a, it is actually a smaller molecule. It is lower concentration, so um, and it's not uh, 0.5 anymore. It is point and. Don't quote me on this, but I think it's 0.38. It is a, approximately half the concentration of 0.5. It's in between the Aurex uh, concentration and the actual Lodamax concentration. Maybe SM and is like so, what you see on a tag when it's small. There you go. Yeah, small. There you go. Maybe that's what they came up with. But when I see it, I, I don't know. Lodamax SM. Another so new med, a, which is actually kind yeah. of more exciting, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. I won't steal the thunder. You think this is more exciting? Kind of, not really. I guess not. How do you say it? <laughs> I was waiting for you. I was hoping you'd say it. Avicler? <laughs> Avicler? It's like pterodactyler. It's, like, it's a lot of weird letters together. It's acyclovir, ophthalmic ointment. And, and literally acyclovir is probably the most unexciting herpes medicine that exists known to man. Uh, but it is now something to be excited about, apparently, because it's in ointment form, folks. This is great. 3% uh, acyclovir avaclor <laughs> is a herpes simplex uh, drug, of course, as we all are very familiar with its use in oral form. Now we have a new option to treat it in topical form. So, hey, it's always good. Every anything we could do to uh, reduce the incidence of stromal discoform keratitis. That's what I always say. Yes, the most common adverse reaction there in two to two to ten percent of people were stinging, punctate keratitis, and follicular conjunctivitis. So, kind of like your topical antivirals, maybe similar similar experience for patients, but yeah, side effect wise. So you know, we're always keeping you up. On the latest, with the latest newest, whatever's out. So feel free to e-scribe those pups. They're they're out. They're ready to rock. <laughs> no, so. actually. I think they're coming soon, though. No, Lodamax uh, SM's okay. out. 
Yeah. I've I've got samples. We've been yeah, rocking that's with true. that. True, but true. The acyclovir, you're right. I think that's still yet Con- to come. Pending. Anyway. Patent pending. Anyway. This this is student month. Student month. And actually, we had a really good inspiration of topic today that is Did we? not only student focused, but to be honest, I'm four years out and I'm like so excited to have this conversation. Okay. So this is good. solid shout out to Desi Westall. She's a fourth year over at Pacific. She shot us a email actually saying that she found our podcast, loved us, obvi. <laughs> Thanks, Des. Yeah, totally. Uh, thanks, Desi. Um, but she wanted to know if we do a episode in the future about tackling student loan debt. She's graduating soon. No one really covers this during school. She'd love some help, direction, advice. Um, obviously, student loans are overwhelming. Most of us are taught in science and not finance. And so, how how can we get some help here? What what can we do? To- so my idea was let's let's not even do that. Let's just send her a shirt and a water bottle, <laughs> yeah. and we'll talk about something totally different. Right. And obviously, I disagreed. So I did a and- little research, which I'm better <laughs> at than Jimmy. And this through my research, I found <laughs> New Grad Optometry, which we all love, has a lot of great resources. They had a pretty good resource on there that I found, basically um, talking about some different. Uh, loan information um do one of the so they had this whole general survey of optometrists and optometry students they did this in 2017 they had over a thousand respondees so they were everyone from students to optometrists um, practice owners non-practice owners and one of the questions they asked was one do you feel optometry school is adequately preparing you for life after school there's a solid little bell curve here Median being at 6.25. But their general summary was optometry school tends to focus on clinical lessons far more than life, industry, finance, taxes, etc. I mean, what does that even mean? I have to, I have to, what, I mean, what the hell does that mean? Prepare you for life after school? I mean, there's so many things that you need to, you know, I think a lot of folks in optometry school are not prepared for life. You I know? mean, yeah. I mean, you're not paying to get life lessons. You're paying to be a good doctor. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll touch on that question again. Hold that thought, Jimmy. Another yeah. thing they asked about is what do you think about your, refinancing your student loans? That was like the general header here, and they found that 82 percent of graduates are graduating with debt. And 60% of respondents already had refinanced their student loans, were either about to or contemplating. So basically, like, a lot of people don't know what to do, okay? I think everybody hears that word and they're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. That seems like an easy thing. So anyways, fast forward to me doing more research on, like, who in the world do I – am I going to just talk about this myself? Like, I don't know the answers to this. Then my obvious default answer is like, okay, I'll just talk to my husband about this because he's smarter than me about math, like numbers. Like he was like a business guy. (laughs) And obviously we can't rely on Jimmy because he doesn't know anything. So, (laughs) Well, I I actually tried to call Fed loan and I'm still on hold. (laughs) Right, exactly. You know, uh, I'm just like, you know, it's screw this. I give up. I'm just going to pay my loans until I'm 3,000 years old. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So... Entering in our legit superstar, okay? So I'm not even going to act like I truly found him on my own because cause, uh, New Grad Optometry already did and probably other people have yeah. too. But on the podcast, fresh fresh off the press, we have Adam Schmela. Say hi to That's everyone. Right. We said it right, too. I think I did. How's everybody doing? Adam, we what's up, buddy? Oh, yes. living the dream. Thanks for, what's thanks up, for having me on the show. and Appreciate it. I'm... Adam, I'm so excited. Let me tell everyone a little about you first for a second. Adam is a certified financial planner, so he knows what he's talking about. But more importantly, he is the the owner, president, practitioner, owner of Integrated Planning and Wealth Management Company. So they are a comprehensive financial uh, firm that focuses on optometrists helping achieve their financial potential. Um, Even cooler than that is he actually is married to an optometrist. Okay, one of his passions is... Yeah, that's is, probably the most cool thing right? about him. He yeah, helps The rest of me is just boring. I mean, just the fact that I'm married <laughs> to him. Yeah. It's like everything else is just... Right, meh. everyone can stop listening now. Yeah. No, yep. but he helps optometrists make educated and informed decisions about their money. Um, 
He's a third generation business owner, so obviously knows firsthand implications of what it means, not only as what an optometrist brings upon their family with all of their work life balance, but also debt, uh, financial planning uh, plans. <laughs> that was just that sounded so like I don't know what I'm talking about for finances. Could there financial be anything plan- more boring than financial planning, though? I mean, you said <laughs> you were excited know. about this conversation. Very few people actually get excited about, oh my gosh, I can't wait to listen to a podcast about financial planning. And let me assure you <laughs> that my number one goal in this conversation is to actually not lose your audience by talking about student loans, financial planning. That is that is my one goal. Aside from educating, I don't want to alienate an audience. So Thank you for having Good. me. I've got two Let's hands do that. up on my chin, <laughs> just ready to go. I mean, I think a lot of us do get really overwhelmed. I mean, just like Desi's message, she was saying how it feels overwhelming. Like, we aren't really taught how to deal with finances, yet we have the responsibility of hundreds of thousands, maybe, of dollars of loans, and you have to just know the right decision on what decisions to make next, uh, making decisions for retirement. I want to buy a house. All these things. Do I refinance? Like these are words we've never learned in school. We've heard the words low to max 30 times, 30,000 times, I should say. We've heard retinal Uh, detachment, all these scary things. But then it comes to words like finance and we're like freaked out and just immediately tune off. So yeah, I'm really excited to be able to like make this a little bit more approachable. So um, anyways, you also reside in Indiana living with obviously your optometrist wife, Andrea, and you have two daughters, Brooklyn and Courtney. Two little girls. Oh, yeah. Aww. Sweet. Dad's all kinds of free it's time. It's like dad talk tonight. I'm with dad. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old are the kiddos? 4 and 1. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so yeah, Beautiful. we have the the one thing about having kids not to derail conversation here too much, but the 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 aha moment for me was like with kids now, every five minutes matters. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, we used to use the word ish a lot. Like, oh, I'll be home around 5.30-ish. Yeah. Or what What time's dinner? Ah, Six-ish. Do you want to watch a movie tonight? Yeah, sure. Ish. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, it is life is the back of a shampoo bottle, right? Lather, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah. And every yes. five minutes matters. It's the, I'm with you, yeah. brother. So. <laughs> I have a two-year-old and an 11-month-old, so I uh, I get it. It gets better. It gets better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's awesome. So with that, with that in mind, right? I mean, we we have people having babies and doing life, and you're in school and all this good stuff. I mean, what I really want to know is what is your spirit animal? What is my spirit animal? I mean, Gosh, that, that's, that's probably right the most Coco. important thing about you. Uh, what is my? I keep I keep picturing that dog that <laughs> yeah. like was coming off and then like fell down and then he just kind of flattered it, flapped his wings back yes, up. Yes, Coco, what know, a great I, reference. I guess maybe. Yeah, you you stumped me there. I'm I'm all in financial mode right now. I hadn't really <laughs> thought about what my spirit animal would be. Yeah, something this, along running. Something. Dogs are big runners. The cheetah, Ooh, maybe cheetahs. Yeah, fast, fast. I mean, you are I that like fast it. response long time. is really cheetah esque too. Right? I'd say. So you're gonna we're gonna go through this. You're gonna spit all this super awesome knowledge on us, and then later on tonight you're gonna be laying in bed and you're like, "God damn it! I could have come up with something better than a cheetah." <laughs> cheetah, really? Cheetah? That was what, I like that's cheetah. What, and that's and that's what people are gonna remember. That financial yeah. what, cheetah. No, or they're gonna think a Cheetos. Yeah, cheetah. Ooh, I'm hungry. Yeah, I, I mean a cheetah could like just envious. A cheetah can eat a lot of Cheetos and still be skinny because he runs a lot. I just want to draw a picture for everybody. This guy definitely is financial all the way. He's got a shirt on that says fiduciary (laughs) AF. I love it. Hashtag fiduciary AF. That That will definitely be posted with this podcast. Love it, and I and I had a fleece on, but it, the the AC in our office goes out at night, and so it's getting a little warmer here. I didn't want a cleaning crew coming in because you know we're recording this late on East Coast yeah. right now, and I didn't want a cleaning crew coming in, so I locked the door to make sure that no one would come getting in. And I'm kind in of baking in this office, so I lose the fleece, and I'm like, oh yeah, I've got my fiduciary. I have another one that says, uh, "Come at me, bro." So it says, "Bro," but. Ah, I love it. And again, we we can maybe dive we can maybe dive into that conversation a little bit because one of the things that <laughs> that I I'm on a personal mission towards is helping everybody optom not even just optometrists but helping helping people understand who the hell should I work with when it comes yes. to financial planners? Because yeah. there's financial planners, there's financial advisors, there's wealth wealth advisors, wealth consultants, financial consultants. Like the list goes on and on. And the, the problem is our profession, if you want to call it that, I still consider it an industry because a lot of people 
end up masquerading as financial planners, but sell products like insurance mm, or investments. Right. It's still an industry that dispenses products. And so part of the consumer's role is knowing what good questions to yes. ask to understand who it is that you're going to work with. So I have a little, maybe a personal vendetta against our industry as we slowly try and change it to a profession of professionals that dispense advice, yes. period. No yes. products, nothing else. It's just what is in the best interest of the client. So it's actually a friend of mine, shout out to uh, Douglas Doug. Bonaparte uh, out in New York City, another fee-only advisor that came up with this, with, with this idea of, uh, love of it. I love it. Well, okay. Well then what questions do so. you ask? I mean, like, I feel like we should just go there right now. <laughs> so one of my favorite questions that I ask people or that, that I tell people to ask from an advisor standpoint is what's your business model? And the thing that I, where I go with that, or what I mean by that is whose name is on the door versus right. whose name is above the door. Because if there's a different name above the door than what's on the door. So if they work for a large firm, if they work for an insurance company or a large investment company, and I used to be in that role. I mean, in, in true transparency, I spent the first four years of my career at a national brokerage firm. And my come to Jesus moment was when I had a client that wanted to come work with me. And the only way that I could work with him is if he had about a $400,000 portfolio. And the only way that he could work with me and I could help him with his investments is if he sold those investments and moved them into uh, yeah, that right. investment firm, which wouldn't on the surface, if you don't know anything about they're like, okay, so what's the big deal? Well, the, the problem with that is that right. it was a taxable account and he was going to generate about $220,000 right. in capital gains to do that. And it's like, okay, I felt like a stretch Armstrong. I've got my, my firm not telling me to do this, but let's face it, my compensation or my ability to serve this client was predicated upon that transaction happening. Meanwhile, it's right. not in the best interest of the client. So I wanted to remove conflict of interest as much as one can in that relationship. And the only way to do that is to be purely independent of any financial firm. So you're a fee, by definition, we are a fee only firm, which means that the only compensation that we get is from clients paying us, much like you pay your CPA, you pay your attorney, you pay your financial planner. And that's, that's where the, the, that's where our profession is evolving and moving towards is fee for service. Um, and again, we could do the entire conversation just on that alone. But so I, I, I would always recommend understanding whose name is on the door versus above the door. Ask them, are you a fiduciary? Do you have the legal obligation and ask them to oh. put it in writing sometimes? Oh yeah, we're a fiduciary. But if you tear through the client account service agreement, you read the fine print, all that, you know, 13 pages or so. Would it be? Right, I'm sorry. What, right. what is a fiduciary? What the fiduciary? fiduciary. <laughs> what is it? What is it? All right. So, so the so uh, best way I can explain this like from metaphors. a metaphor standpoint, just as you guys explained from a clinical standpoint, right? Try People and are explain doing the best it can in with what the terms they know. of a corneal infection. <laughs> Well, but it's funny because I know, like, I'm not even going to say I know enough to be dangerous, <laughs> yeah. but I've heard enough patient stories from my wife that I'll have a client ask me, so what do you think? Of, well, see, my wife told me about a patient example. So what you probably, you know, you might have, and she's like, don't play doctor. You don't know what you're doing. Like, I know, but I kind of know. know, but it's still kind of <laughs> yeah. fun. Um, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. I know enough to be dangerous. I, you know, just... <laughs> so the best way that I can explain fiduciary yep. is my sister got married this last year. And so I stood up in the wedding and when I went to men's warehouse to pick up my tux, the person that was, that was there helping with the tux, if they were in the capacity of not being a fiduciary, they could have put me in the suit <laughs> right. from dumb and dumber. Okay. looks right. ridiculous. Yeah. Right. All right. Blue or orange doesn't matter. <laughs> I look ridiculous, but did it fit me? Was it suitable to me? Did it fit? Yes. And if it fits me, even if it looks ridiculous, it wasn't okay. the best one in the store for me. If that salesperson was a fiduciary, they had the obligation to not only make sure that the suit fit me, but it, that it was the best suit right. in the store for mm. what I needed. Now, if I was renting a tux to go to a Halloween party, maybe the Dumb and Dumber suit would have been the best suit for that situation. But it's about are you acting in the best interest of the client and you have the legal obligation to put the mm. client first? And when I say legal obligation, that means that if the client finds out that you did something against or in, in ah, their interest, they okay. have the ability yeah, to Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So there's, there's, okay. Yeah, there's legal repercussions. Okay. So I guess when Everybody I- Everybody likes to sue people, so when that's I think great. Of, so I think, here's a patient example, for instance. Patient comes in, they have an eye problem, but they don't have insurance. Okay? They want your help, but they want to pay as little as possible. Now flip this on a student, you graduate, you have all this debt. 
I don't know about loans or money, patient, like any management, but I don't have any money. So I want your services, but like, how do you know what is worth paying? Like what's, you know what I'm trying to say without saying it kind of? Yeah. So like, that's a, that's something that gives a lot of people anxiety, i.e. me. Like, I know I need to get advice. I know I'm overwhelmed with this, but I'm also overwhelmed with the fact that I have bills to pay and you're a bill. (laughs) Right? Without being rude. Yep. So it may, true. Well, no, it, it, Right. Cost becomes apparent in the absence of value, right? If 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 someone doesn't have insurance and they're paying and they're a cash paying patient, Jimmy, no, I'm, trying to, the best. I'm trying to yeah. hone in. <laughs> That's how he <laughs> he's it. absorbing he's it, right? I know, right? <laughs> sucking it in. <laughs> so if if we're it, cost becomes apparent in any service in any experience in the absence of value, and so while it may sound cliche, I believe that. A, that good, solid, unbiased financial advice should sure. not be expensive. Yeah. It should be priceless. Amen. And so, and it's that should the also idea be of shirt. thinking about <laughs> and the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we sure. could make the same case right. for eye care, right? I mean, it, it's it, it's providing, and at the end of the day, it comes down to the experience. It comes down to the experience that you're providing to your patient. It comes down to the experience that I provide and the intellectual property that I deliver to my clients, just as the intellectual property that you dispense right. to your patients, whether it be just in a treatment plan or in the actual prescribing of Lodamax right. or whatever script, whatever, whatever treatment plan you're recommending. So in the absence of value, yeah, then cost does start to matter. So it is a matter of understanding, okay, what is what is the return on investment that I'm getting? Can I measure that explicitly or so, implicitly in the fee for service that I'm paying? So if you look at the idea of refinancing loans and in that ebook that that you downloaded from from New Grad Optometry, if if paying someone a couple hundred, a couple thousand dollars, whatever the, whatever that pricing structure turns out to be for a professional, whether it be a CPA, a CFP, an attorney, right, whatever problem you're trying to solve in the context of the student loans, if you find an advisor that knows what they're doing in financial planning, knows student loans, how they exist, how they work, and how they're structured, and you write a check for 300, 500, 700, 800, whatever, whatever dollar amount it, do, it, it costs for that detailed, thorough student loan analysis, and that and going through that ends up saving you hundreds, if a hundred or hundreds of thousands of dollars in future interest. Absolutely. Pretty good ROI. Yeah. I, I think people, unfortunately, you know, just we're, you know, not to be corny, but we're all, we're nearsighted, right? We're, we're myopic, and, right. you know, don't be we're so myopic, myopic. About this. we only see what's in front of us and, you know, everybody gets out of school and, and I have the pleasure of having students in, in our office and, you know, they're always, uh, right now they're close to the end of their schooling and they're all talking about jobs and, and, you know, what they're going to make and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, all optometrists, you know, are sort of fixated on, making a hundred thousand or more, you know, when they graduate. And that that's like this huge like bar of success that you've reached in your life. I'm gonna make a hundred thousand dollars. What they don't realize is that okay, yeah, two thousand of that a month is gonna go to your loans <laughs> and you know, a thousand's gonna go to this. You're only gonna take home half of that. And you know, you really need to to figure this stuff out, you know, because that hundred thousand dollars seems like this huge shiny golden bar, but it goes quick you know and uh well think about it think about it this way so optometry students dentist dental students physicians let's call them white coat professionals right you go from poverty to one percent in a weekend right Your, your poverty level in living on student loan debt i mean Heck, when we were going through when we were going through optometry, or when Andrew was going through optometry school, part of her income in the very beginning, when I was getting my business started, yeah, was yep, a disbursement yep. on student loan checks. And so you're living on student loan checks, and then you graduate, you pass your boards, you're practicing June, maybe July, depending on what job you have lined up, and then we forget about that moratorium that happens on your student loans for the first six months. You have that first six months of grace period, so you have six months there in the absence of intentional planning, <laughs> yeah. and proactive planning you have the ability for lifestyle creep to because you're now uncomfortable with the amount of money. Whether you realize it or not, people get uncomfortable yep. when they have a sudden shift in income like right. that because they don't know what to do with it. And so you and and compounded on top of that, you have this instant society that we live in where we put everything on social media and we look yeah. like we're so like I'm amazing, in Thailand taking pictures under, you know, like a waterfall. Exactly. With like the sweetest filter and all this kind <laughs> of stuff. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I saved guys. the filter, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I pulled that. Honestly, when I said sapia, my mind immediately yeah. immediately went back to genetics and oh, Drosophila, yeah. How right? About the, you? The Look at that. And, Punnett right? squares. So, I, well, so the what's that Punnett <laughs> square? You know, what, right? So the, the the small backstory. I met my I graduated pre med and I met my wife in Stop. calculus and our first date was at was oh, Ochem nice. on a Sunday night. So we always joke that alkenes and alkynes have a special place in our heart because <laughs> oh, that's what that's we were cool. saying that's cool. for an organic. Yeah. Yeah. But I realized I liked medicine. I didn't love it enough to make it my profession. So kudos to everybody, including yourselves, that that uh, that dove all in. I honestly and, think and about, you know, like I love side. my profession, but, but sometimes uh, I think like, could I have been happier doing something just as much? <laughs> and like, I wouldn't have <laughs> as much loans as I have. I would probably really love my life just as much. I love my job. Never, but that's the but but that's the pro, but that's the challenge with optometry. That's what we're seeing, and that's what people are struggling with. You have, gosh, we could we could do a whole show on this and just the because I look at it the the, the individuals that I work with, I'm, I kind of have a barbell type experience, right? I've got a good, I've got a lot of relationships that are let's call it in 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 your uh, in our or your your generation, yeah. right? The six to seven years and under out of graduation. And then I've got my clients and my relationships that are close to the point of wanting to sell the practice. We're looking at valuations, et cetera, et cetera. But the challenge with that is that on on that side of the barbell, in the absence of good planning and stepping away from their practice and selling that and having that liquidity event, and they still need right. that income to provide for their quality of life, that can hamstring an associate or an employee, either either a younger partner with yep. the plan to succeed that original owner or an associate to not make what they may be worth to the practice because the owning doc, for lack of a better word, yes. needs the income to sustain their lifestyle. The same problem exists. I've learned a long time ago that the amount of income that you make is not a parallel... Or, the amount of money that you make does not yes. equate to your financial literacy. And so in the absence of, again, coming back to that proactive planning, whether we're talking about someone that's five years away from selling their practice, or we're talking about people that are that have just graduated or coming upon graduation right now, they're in the rotations and they're looking at this job offer. They're looking at this, this like you said, this, this benchmark that has this arbitrary benchmark that has been set of six figures. But when you start doing the math on, okay, so I'm making hundred grand a year. I've got two grand a month coming out in student loans. I've got rent or a mortgage. I've got a car payment. I've got health insurance that I have to right. pay for. Right. Oh, don't forget taxes, right? We've got a, and so yep. that very quickly yeah. gets whittled down. And so, but the problem with that equation, that scenario is that one of those big, one of the biggest pieces of that game of Tetris your student loans don't come back or don't come to you until Christmas, <laughs> yeah. right? Merry Christmas. It's yeah. always, I always joke, Christmas is extra oh, special the first year yeah. after graduating optometry school. Yeah. And so if you, in the absence of that type of intentional budgeting and looking at telling your money where to go instead of your money telling it where to go, right? Our minds and our money are wonderful. Uh, they're, they're horrible masters, yep. but wonderful servants. And so if you don't tell your money where to go, if you don't sit down and be proactive, most people spend more time planning <laughs> yeah. a vacation. You probably talked about Thailand, right? Most people spend more time planning their vacation. We just went to Disney. And granted, being a CFP, my wife doesn't really dive into the personal finance pool too much. Um, she knows how to tell time. <laughs> yeah. I tell her how to build a watch. Um, but, <laughs> but we spend a lot of time yeah. planning for Disney, right? And a lot of people spend a lot of time planning for vacation. But if you were to ask people how to budget, how, what, how should I budget? What should I look at? What tools and apps are there out there to help me do those things? How do I prioritize I my money? I think people get so, uh, it's, uh, it's so, uh, it's overwhelming, but it's overwhelming. so, it's so personal, you know, it's so personal. And I think people feel somehow embarrassed, you know, that they don't know how to do those things. And also embarrassed about, you know, sharing their personal finances, like how many, you know, mocha cappuccino lattes they get in a week and like the stupid little things we buy here and there. I mean, that's all, it's not super important probably at the end, but it is important, right? Like all of that's figuring that stuff out. It's important. Nobody wants to be told how to spend their money. So I think that, that that's difficult. I want to, I just want to back up real quick and, and just kind of start from the beginning and, 
and just hit on some high points here for for our listeners. So um, we are so we're, you know talking to students, new grads, and and I think you know probably some some folks that have been in practice with this. And so you're in school, you have loans, right? And I think it's become almost like a badge of honor, like how big your loans are, right? Like you come out of school, you're like, well, I have more loans than you. Like, listen, guys, that's nothing to be proud about, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I had $250,000 in, in loan debt. That's my graduate school and my undergrad. Um, I'm proud to say I, I aggressively pay them off and I'm down to about 66 right now. I'm out five years. Um, so I, and I recently refinanced, so I have lots of questions for you personally. My wife also had that much. She's a physical therapist and, um, she's not aggressively paying them off (laughs) and, uh, she's part of the, um, public loan, uh, public service loan forgiveness program. She works at a hospital and uh, she also is doing income-based repayment, which we could talk about also. So we've been trying to finagle some things around. So I think when... Let's start. You're in school. You have all these loans, and now you're. You know, what what need what do we need to be thinking about here? So, to your point, you'd be surprised at how many people just really don't even know what they own, how what type of loans they own, and what they owe on them. And so, there's two resources that you can go to to find out what you own. The first is the NSLDS website, the National Student okay. Loan Servicing Database. So NSLDS.gov. If you just uh, I got it, I got it Google, linked. We we'll put it on there. Yep. we'll put it in our notes. Um, put yeah, put a link. Put in the show notes. Um, so the NSLDS website is going to be, and it's basically the same login that yeah. you used when you filled out your FAFSA. And so that will give you. So they must be on all there. of the loans like, that you own. Oh, It'll give be. you no only federal personal. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Any, any, okay. only federal, only federal. So the other resource, if you want to find out, if you know that you only took out federal okay. loans and everything's going to be on that website. If you also, if maybe your parents co-signed or your parents took out some, some loans on your Thanks, behalf, yep. then pull your credit. Your, your, your credit is going to show any and all outstanding debt that either you gotcha. are the primary or co-signed borrower on. And those two resources are going to be what you're going to tackle or what you're going to use to begin measuring gotcha. what progress you need to make, right? Peter Drucker, famous man. Side note on that. So we do measure. that. What's next? I, um, just real quick side note. Okay. I'm going to link this up to Credit Karma is an awesome app that I use that is like a credit okay. monitoring app, but it will show me my outstanding credit, all my credit cards, student loan debt, student loans, etc. Just anyway. I use one called Wallet Hub. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have one that you recommend? Credit, yeah, like credit monitoring for app credit of some kind. I, okay, not really. Um, I yeah, be, and the reason I don't oh, is really? I just tell everybody freeze your credit forever. To yeah, until you yeah. need it. All oh. until you need it. Okay, until yeah. And so it this literally just happened yesterday or two days ago. Um, I had to I had to unfreeze my credit, uh, and so I logged onto my Equifax account, unfroze it for two days, so I could run a credit check that I needed. And then it'll freeze back up. Credit freezing or freezing your credit is the only way currently that you can really, to the extent that anybody wow. can, prevent identity theft. And so I don't really care about my – like when we – and again, gosh, we could have a whole podcast series on just personal finance tips. But um, the credit, if you're if you're continuing to build your credit or you want to continue building credit, <laughs> all that really means is that you're really good at staying in debt. Because when you think yeah. about – how the credit score is calculated, the, one of the biggest components to that is your debt balance to available credit of, to your available credit, right? That ratio. And are you making your payments on time? And so the idea, if we're, lo- if we're talking about building our personal balance sheet, well, we have gotcha. to increase the assets and decrease the so, liabilities. So we have that. So I recommend we, Now we credit. know what we own. Okay, we're going into graduation. I think maybe it'd be smarter yep. to do this before June when you graduate in your fourth year. <laughs> just to have some idea. But um, okay, so now we're going to do that. Now we're yes. going to look at ways to repay our loans. So how the hell do we do this, man? There's 50,000 yep. options. Biggest decision that's, yep, biggest decision or biggest yes, no question that you'll ask is, are you going to be working in the public sector, public student loan? For, in Can the, you tell in the us what se- that means? Private versus public sector. So so what that means, if you're working for a not-for-profit, like a hospital, like um, 
a charity again in, in an optometry it's harder to find that than in than in the in the physician in the md marketplace right because some of the largest hospital organizations are by definition from a tax status not for profit and so because they are not for profit or you're working in the government so if you're working for the va so if there are any any workers in the va any ods that work for the va that is by definition so you're in the government you are, public sector not not for profit the, or public yeah. sector if you are you have to ask yourself, are you going to be working in that? Are you going to commit to that line of work for 10 years? Because if you are, now you're going down the path of evaluating the PSLF program. So PSLF is Public Student Loan Forgiveness Program. The Cliff's Notes on PSLF is that you have to be on an income-based repayment plan. So that's either going to be IBR, pay or repay. Typically, it's going to be pay. So pay as you earn, which is 10%. No, so well. Again, I don't want to. It's good. I'm going to have good. everybody drinking from a fire hose here in a little bit, but <laughs> um, so let let before I get into the different payment options, you have to be on a on an income based okay. repayment plan. That's the first criteria. The second criteria is that you have to make 120 right. payments. Right. They do not have to be consecutive, so you have to make 120 payments. And once you make those payments, the remaining balance of your student loans, right. federal student loans are forgiven tax-free. So 10 years, 120 payments, 10 years. Again, again, they don't have to be consecutive. So if you work, let's say you go to the VA for four years and you decide, you know what, I, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And I just, I'm going to go into private practice. I have a great opportunity here. I'm going to go work in private practice for a couple of years. That, the, you know, they say the, the grass is greener on the other <laughs> side while you still have to mow the lawn. Um, and so maybe the grass isn't as green as you thought. And then it was a little bit too much more maintenance. And so you decide to go back into the public sector, whether it's at the VA or a hospital, you can now pick up where you left off as long as you're filing the requirements to continue through that, I, through that PSLF program, which is verifying your income on an annual basis with your loan service provider and oh, verifying yeah. your employer. So I have a couple quick questions about that for you. So uh, one thing that when my wife brought that to me, you know, about as a, pot a potential way to repay her loans was, you know, well, what happens if we decide we're not going to do this, you know, and, and uh, we decide that you, you decide that that's not something you want to do or a place you want to work or we have kids and you work part time or whatever the case may be, uh, and and uh, you've now been you have this big old debt two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of debt and it's been accruing interest and now all of a sudden we got to redo it all and kind of change the game where we could have been maybe living our life in a way to pay this off now five years later we're like nowhere closer to paying it off and that's kind of where we're at to be honest with her loan debt right now and we're stuck in it and and honestly I don't yeah. love it. <laughs> but but yep. we're gonna keep rocking with it because it, it's I, not I, a bad it's a low payment but it's just something that I don't think people think about because it's a low payment right away and but you're really marrying this payment plan. You are, and that's right. That that's why I can't emphasize enough that that's the decision that or that's the you know, the fork in a row that you're going to take upon graduation is if you're going into that public service sector and you're going to work for a not-for-profit or a hospital or a government entity, and you're going on the PSLF route, yeah. you have to be committed to that because if you do decide to change paths, and again, you can always go back to it. Like but I you said, pay example, your loans if you in between bail on that strategy, <laughs> so, you got to pay. Exactly. And well, yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. And I guess my point in that is that even if you are still on an IBR plan, in my practice, in my private practice example that I mentioned before, for that for that OD that was doing that, right. you can still stay on an IBR plan. Those right. payments right. just aren't right. counting towards that 120 payment, towards that towards that 120. So, but if you decide to bail it bail altogether, now we're entertaining the conversation of loan forgiveness in the private sector. So you're working in private practice, you're working for a for profit entity, in the private sector. If you're still on an income-based repayment plan, such as IBR, pay or repay, you still do have the options for loan forgiveness. Unfortunately, there's two things, I don't want to say working against you, but in essence, they kind of are. Number one, you have to pay for a lot longer. So IBR and and repay payment plans are a 25-year instead of 10 years. They're it's gonna a 25-year repayment plan. And pay is a 20-year repayment yeah. plan. And... Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, they're just going to get more of your money in the form of your IBR payments or IDR payments, your income-driven repayment plan payments. And 
whatever balance is forgiven at at that time is realized as forgiven debt Oof. by the IRS, which is taxable. Right. And so you have to plan for a tax bomb. So you have to plan for let's say let's say you have someone that graduates with a you know my wife came out with two hundred thirty eight grand is what her what what her balance was. People always chuckle when I tell them that our mortgage for for right. time being was our third <laughs> yeah. highest monthly bill behind oh, childcare oh, and her student loan right. payments. Like if we just did minimum payments, like our child, we paid this number. I don't think I'll ever forget this number. And we're in Indiana, right? I, East coast, West coast, you'll probably laugh at this, but we paid $29,640 oh, last year in childcare. And so, yeah. So when you do that and then you look at student, her student loan payments and then our mortgage, it's like not many people have a hard time wrapping their mind around right. the fact no. that your mortgage, your rent is usually the top of the budget and everything kind of gets smaller from there. But if we use that example, right, $230,000, $250,000 in debt, let's say because you're, if you're on an income-based repayment plan, you're not going to be paying the principal on that loan. So let's say that that grows to $420,000, $380,000, whatever that amount is, right? You're paying some, but that tax bond or that amount when it's forgiven in 20 or 25 years, now, I mean, take, take whatever income you're earning that year and then layer that on top of it, which is probably going to push you in the highest tax bracket. Yeah. In today's world, that would push you into the highest tax bracket, married, filing, single, or uh, right. <laughs> married, filing, joint, or single. And so now you've got to come up with basically forty yeah, percent of that in a tax, tax bill. Well, yeah. So so okay. What about now? We what know about, about that. So we have these. So you obviously but at, like cool options on like if you decide that you want to be a public servant and whatnot. But if I'm going to give another example, mm-hmm. I took out one hundred ninety-eight thousand dollars of loan paying for all of my grad school, um, and I did another year afterwards making like what. $30,000 during my fellowship year. So that was really not helpful. And now I'm out in private practice and I got hit with my, uh, my, my first loan payments, which sucked too. I, it was around December. So I do remember that Christmas that was, that sucked real bad. But <laughs> what I ended up doing just kind of through not a, any advice, except what I felt like was a good advice. I, paid off any of my low interest small loans but ended up refinancing loans and i actually refinanced through a private loan option called sofi don't know if it's the right decision right now i do have a high loan payment because i'm trying to just aggressively pay it as much as i can i'm paying over three thousand a month at the moment but um yeah good for you i think i have maybe 60k left or something like that but i started also less than jimmy but that's another option, right? So fi- private loans can consolidate. I got this like ringer of it being at 5%. So most of us come out with 6.5%. So I had a 5% loan. So I thought, oh, I-, I should jump on this. And I made this stupid decision of going with a variable interest rate. So <laughs> I'm at like 55 now, which is still better. Awesome. But I don't know. I just got like enticed and I felt like I could do this. It's not going to change. <laughs> it's not going to change. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, like, what are fi- refinancing is a big thing, right? Everyone thinks I should refinance. Yep. So, do you refinance right away, or do you try and go with some of the plans that they have? Because they have, because there's, can you also expand on like the calculator? Because there's a nice little calculator, I think, on the Fed loan site. How helpful is that for really for the people yep. who are yep. it, loaning? It's a, Sometimes it's a, I don't trust things like that because it's like they're the ones giving you the money, and then they're giving you a calculator. Like, are they actually giving the best advice? <laughs> Oh. Yeah. It is a fairly accurate calculator. It, it, to the extent, obviously, you know, yeah. data in equals data out. So as long as you're accurate with the data that you put in, it's here's the thing. Figuring out your loan repayment options is not yeah. as hard as what we make it out to be. Because at the end of the day, so we talk about repayment plans, the income-based re- or the, the income-driven repayment plans that I was talking about. The first thing that you have to do is we need to delineate between consolidation and refinancing because sometimes okay. people mix up those two words. So consolidation is when you're leaving your loans within the federal government system to qualify for one of these income-based okay. repayment plans, whether we're talking about the PSLF in the public sector or the private side um, you ha- in order to qualify for that loan forgiveness, you have to keep your loans in the public sector. In order to qualify for those plans, the best thing that you can do is to consolidate, again, emphasize consolidate, your loans into direct loans. Because direct loans are the loans that qualify for these forgiveness programs. Now, keep in mind, one thing that can trip people up, 
let's say you don't know that you should be consolidating. You missed, you fell asleep in this part of the podcast and you just decided, oh, okay, I'm just going to go on this IDR plan and you didn't consolidate. If you reconsolidate your loans at any point in the future and you're, and you're going on, this is especially true for the PSLF, that clock restarts. And so that 10-year window restarts. So you have to make sure that you get your ducks in a row the first time. So consolidate your loans, get your loans into direct loans, because those are the, really the only loans that qualify for your PSLF repayment plans. If you're refinancing and taking them out of the federal system and putting them into the private se- private sector, like with a SoFi or um, LendingTree, or you know, the, 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 there's a lot of companies out there that are doing this, um, full disclosure, I have no affiliation <laughs> yeah. with any of them. Um, Yes, yes. <laughs> Got to throw yeah, that in, sure. right? Um, that is a one-way, that, that door, yes. that's a one-way street. And so once you leave the federal government, you lose the ability Jesus. to ever go back and qualify for any of those repayment plans. So you have to be 100% comfortable with the fact that once you make that decision, the re- you're, you're burning then your you're ships, paying. if you will. My you're ship's paying. in. I'm then gone. you're paying. I'm off, yeah. yep. off to Thailand. Yep. And so if you're going to do that, if you're going to do that, and you make that decision exactly. You burn the ships, and you're like, "All right, we're we're, we're setting up camp, planting a flag." Then it's just about getting as aggressive as you right. can and paying them off. So, um, so I am lost. I'm an idiot, fourth year. And uh, can I call you and like say, "Yo, bro, you are fiduciary AF, <laughs> and I want to get real <laughs> with my student loanage with you, and I want to give you all the numbers. I don't want to think at all. I want you to tell me what the best direction yes. to go is. I mean, is that is that possible?" I mean, are there, is that something you do? Is that something people do? It is. It is. So I will give an extra shout out as well to, uh, to a friend of mine. So Travis Hornsby with studentloanplanner.com is a great resource as well. And if you want to put his website up there as well, candidly, We, we sure will. Yeah. If, if there's a, if there's a, if there's a situation, I mean, this is this is in the optometry world. This is when you punt, right? So yeah. this is going from general practice to now. Okay, this is you know go I, I'm no longer here in horses. I'm here in See zebras. So let's right. go ahead and punt to a specialist. <laughs> Travis is a specialist, and so that's all Travis does is student loan consults. So if okay. all you're looking for is you know what, let me figure out my student loans. I would candidly recommend Travis because he is Great. going to do it much better and quicker than I am. If on the other hand you're looking at okay, I'm looking at student loans. But how does that fit into my budget and I want to buy a house and I need to stay for retirement and my my practice has a 401k or a simple and like, how do I manage all these pieces of the puzzle? Then what you're looking for is the box to your puzzle. And that's that's now, what we do. Let me just let me just ask something in, in response to that, though, because I felt like, OK, my purpose in life right now is to make babies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is to uh, uh, is to uh, you know be a be a good father, be a great doctor. You know all these things, but in on the fiduciary side, on the money side, it is to be uh, paying the crap out of my loans. And so I think a lot of people say, well, if I'm paying the crap out of my loans, then I'm not going to have any money to do any sort of investing or planning or future stuff. So how do you, how do you reconcile those two? And what do people, what do you say to people? The short short answer. And again, this is a general rule of thumb. Another disclosure, don't take anything that we're talking about as sole advice, right? Do your own due diligence (laughs) on this stuff. But the general rule of thumb that I have is that if you can pay your loans off in six years or less, then I'm okay and comfortable with you deferring saving for retirement. If it's going to be longer than six years, then okay. you have to, you have to, did I just use that word? You must split the difference. You cannot ignore retirement. And I have a, I have an ebook that I wrote that illustrates just basically the compounding value of money. And this is something that we were never taught in school as well, right? We all still know what Sokotoa is. We know that we remember that metaphor from calculus, <laughs> right? Sign oh, opposite so over hypotenuse, oh, cosine, yeah, adjacent, yeah. right? We all still know Sokotoa, but I wonder how many of our listeners understand just really <laughs> how compound interest works and how powerful it is. No, it's there, it's right? Like crazy. It is. It it's is. Magic. And so I, my, I, I illustrate that point or, or the fact that it's not illustrated and it's not preached and hammered home in optometry. Forget optometry school. It's not hammered home in high school and not to pontificate on, on that, right. on that curriculum. But if you're six years or less, then okay, just hammer at your student loans. If it's over that, you have to find a balance. You must save for okay. retirement and student loans. All right, so let's say, and I will just say, Roy, you shared your experience. You refinanced. I paid. I did a ten-year um, ascending fee schedule 
through the Fed program. And I decided a couple years ago to refinance through a company called Laurel Road, who actually has some some mm-hmm. member benefits with the AOA. So that's why I reached out to them and I got a great refinance package and uh, very sure. happy. You know, they showed me, you know, you're going to save this much money anyway. So um, on a good track with them. But now, okay, let's let's say you didn't do that. Let's say, you know, I'm going to take the longest route possible and I'm going to, you know, do this um, to pay off my loans in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. And I, I do want to do like you just said. I, I'm going to listen to what you said and I'm going to invest. What the hell do I do? <laughs> what do you mean I'm going to invest? What, you know, what, what are we going to do? Are we going to, should I get one of these newfangled apps that I've heard about that, you know, will, will uh, invest for me and nobody takes any of my money? Or should I call someone like you and, sure. and you know, or you sure. to it's help a good me question. figure that stuff um, out? I abide by the principle. It doesn't really, it matters much more that you're saving than what you're saving in. And so just start somewhere. Vanguard.com and open up an IRA or a Roth IRA or just an investment account. Use some. So what, what does Vanguard, that mean? I have, no if, have you heard of Vanguard means. before? The so, Okay. So Vanguard have, is yes, one of the biggest investment companies out there where you can start a Roth IRA, which is a form of retirement vehicle. The idea and the metaphor behind a Roth IRA is that you're getting you're getting the tax break on the investments in the long term. And again, we I, we don't need to go granular on this just for the sake of not putting your listeners into into, into zombie uh, sure, zombie yeah, land. No, that's good. So if you, right. so, just start saving. Even if you start with something, you know, we talked before we hit record about Acorns or Robinhood. There's there is fine print in those things, but at its core, it's still something. It's not bad. I'm not going to say it's bad, right? You just have to understand that doing those little things is not going to be enough. A general rule of thumb is I want you to get to I want you to get to save at a bare minimum, get to the point where you're saving 10% of your gross income. So pre-tax income. So we we talk about that $100,000 floor, get to the point of saving 10 grand a year. Yeah. In anything, right? Whether it's okay. Roth IRAs, your 401k, your practice. If I were to order them, and, and real quickly from a from a prioritization, number one, get your emergency fund in place. So that's your savings account. In case something happens, your credit cards, your line of credit at your home, I do not consider emergency fund. So get two months of living okay. expenses, not income, living expenses. Two months of living expenses, cash on hand. I can get to it today, tomorrow with the latest. Once you've done that, now we... Savings account. Where do you on, put that? Savings account. I'm a big fan right so now. So you think of, you should keep? I'm a big fan of online oh, savings sorry. accounts right now. So Marcus, which is the FDIC ba- bank of Goldman Sachs, uh, Ally.com, Capital One has. I use Ally. Uh, Capital One has another one. All of them are paying right now. It's kind of weird to think about actually getting a rate of return on your on your cash. Uh, but right now, savings. all of those. Yeah. I think last time I checked, we're paying over two percent. So it is a nice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Mo- wow. I do the do your fine print or do your fine print. Do your due diligence. Most of them will require a minimum balance, but I think it's some of them it's sure. 5 maybe $10,000. But for most of us that okay. Ally Ally Bank I can speak from experience doesn't have a minimum and does have a I can't remember the exact percentage, but it is a decent percentage on the savings account. And the best part about having Ally Bank is that there's zero ATM fees yes. <laughs> ever because they're, it's an online bank. Yeah, they're online. Actually, they have they have a fraction of the infrastructure that your big bank, your big brick, big brick and mortar banks have, and that's, that's why they amazing. can offer zero fee wow. and higher rates of return just because the cost of capital for them is much lower. And so, yep. if we're looking at that using an Ally, they've got a great app. Capital One has a great app. Your money. You move it out of your your operational account, right? Most of our checking accounts, which is where our paychecks are deposited. You move it from that op account into your savings account. It maybe takes one, two, maybe three days and it's there. And the same way when it comes back. So the only thing to know, quick side note about savings account is that you can only move money out of your savings account into your checking account six times per month before you incur fees. And that's a federal banking rule. Anything. Anything ever? That's a federal, federal rule. rule. You can go from checking to savings every day if you want, but you can't go from savings to checking more than six times out of one account in a month. Otherwise, you incur fees. Why I do they do know. that? <laughs> I wish I had a good answer to it. It just seems, seems so like a good arbitrary. Law to like implement just, as, a, as a bank. Like, we're just going to we're gonna bank. We're going to yeah, fee them every time yeah, they want to take out know, above this. I know. So once you have that done, once you oh. have your savings account, so again, bare minimum, two months of living expenses. So what, is it, what does it okay. cost to operate your household? If you have, 
well, hopefully we all have health insurance. If you're, if you have an HSA, a health savings account, I'm a big fan for maximizing the HSA. That's the yep. next plan that I would go into. And the reason I like the HSA is it's a triple tax threat. You get a tax, a tax deduction up front. It grows tax deferred. And if you take it out for healthcare related expenses before age 65, it's tax free distributions. Yep. So an HSA is a great tool. Once you have the HSA, look at the Roth IRA. The Roth IRA maximum amount per year is $6,000. And if you make over the IRS limits, there are rules on how much you can contribute. If you make over that amount, there are ways to make contributions via what's called a backdoor Roth IRA strategy. If you Google backdoor Roth IRA, you will get a plethora of resources that will educate you on the ABCs and 123s of how that works. Awesome. Um, actually, I should... Okay, I, and what would... What would- the purpose of that is long-term, long-term. investment. Money but, that goes yeah, into yeah. the Roth IRA is earmarked for retirement. Basic rule, think of it, you okay. can't get to it before 59 and a half. Okay. One thing that I would insert okay. in the middle there is in between the HSA and the Roth IRA is if you have a retirement plan, if you own your own practice and you have a retirement plan or you're working for a doc that has a, that has a 401k or a simple and there's a match, mm-hmm. put the money into the 401k or the simple IRA to get the match. And then go into your Roth IRA. Once you max a Roth IRA, now go back into whatever retirement plan is in your practice. And again, we there, there there's reasons why I'm recommending that, but that's that's my uh, that's my script. That's your script. So, what do you mean by go back and forth? Uh, what I'm what I if I'm laddering, right? If I'm prioritizing, oh, see, so see, I'm see, filling up buckets. Okay. This is kind yeah, of like if you yeah. have, uh, 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 what do they call it? Like that thing of champagne glasses that are going up. Like <laughs> sure. the first champagne glass that you're pouring in is your savings account. Yeah. The next one down is your um, HSA. The next one down is the 401k up to the match. The next one down is your Roth IRA. And then the next one below that, your base level is just maxing out your retirement plan and your practice. What do you say to people? They're like, you know, I want to live for today. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't even you know, all this 59 and a half stuff. I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to be alive till 59 and a half, you know, like I want to take care of business. I want to be smart, but like, really I have to plan for being 60. Like, I don't know, man. Okay. So cliche (laughs) phrase alert. Uh, the past is already in the past. The future may never come. That's why they call today a present, right? There you go. And so I am not one of these advisors. I'm not a planner that's going to say, Hey, I want you to live like a pauper right now so that you can amass a bunch of money at the age of 60. Cause you know what? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so it all yeah. comes down to a balance. Uh, you know, you mentioned in my introduction from a family standpoint, I, I've seen both sides of the equation in, in, in both the family businesses that I've, that, that, or in both businesses that are in our family, I've seen what happens when you do it right and you find that balance. And the, the phrase, the phrase that people have to understand is that you have to let your savings habits dictate your spending habits. Because if you let your spending habits dictate your sp- your savings habits, I do not have one multi- multimillionaire client that when I asked them how they accumulated that much, they said, well, I just spent whatever I wanted and just saved whatever was left at the end of the month. Like yeah. that never <laughs> happens. Okay. Yeah. Why? We are inundated. Why not, Corporations though? spend <laughs> billions with a B of dollars trying to get you to part ways with your money. Yeah. And so you have to be intentional. You have to save first and let your savings habits dictate your spending habits. But it is a balance. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not we have, uh, we're, we're all millennials here, right? Experiences are what's important to us. Damn straight. I, I'm, it, yes. we, it's cliche, but it's very, very true. I am about yes. that, but you have, you, you still have to plan for tomorrow. Totally true. I love that. Right. Well, for all of our listeners, Adam, can they reach out to you and where should they go if they do want to reach out to you for maybe a little Absolutely. advice? Absolutely. So integratedpwm.com. So integrated Paul, Wendy, Mary or planning wealth management. I never do that. I never do like planning wealth management. <laughs> yeah. I always do Paul, Wendy, Mary, and I don't know why. Um, off the tongue so integrated, yeah, right. Integratedpwm.com is the website. Sweet. Um, there we'll is, thing. you can learn anything about our firm, what we do, our process. There's a button on there to schedule a 15 minute pre-discovery conversation. We just learn a little bit more about what you're looking for. And if we can help, we'll talk. And if not, at the end of the day, at the end of that conversation, you will have an action item to do, whether it's with me or I'll direct you to someone else that can help. Awesome. Thank you so, so much, Adam. I already have like six notes and action items that I need to do myself. (laughs) (laughs) And if, and if you want like that, the ebook that you were referencing, that's still a live link. I am actually linking that as well. That was, it's really awesome. So I'm definitely sharing that. Everyone should go check it out. Basically that ebook was just a compilation 
compilation of I think six blog posts that I wrote for awesome. for for, uh, for Matt and Antonio. So it, it, there's a, a lot of what we talked about right now in this conversation. I go a couple layers deep in that. E-book. Absolutely, great. Well, thank you again. I think that about that about does it for us tonight or today. <laughs> I keep saying that. Before we go, everyone, feel free to reach out if you have any questions, things you want us to talk about, topics, stories, anything, either on Instagram, Facebook, call or text us, 920-350-8622. Of course, we can't depart without saying major thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, both for their amazing lenses and the awesome people they are to work with. And of course, tune in and listen to our next episodes. But until then, try not to blink.